Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm Andy Mitchell and I'm hosting today's show, which is the New World Order Show. We're talking about probably one of the greatest, if not most infamous, groups that hit not just uh, wrestling but a bit of pop culture as well. And I don't know what else to say other than let's get on oh, with the show. <laughs> uh, but first, a bit of um, I'll just let you know we've got a huge back catalogue of other episodes. Uh, we're on iTunes, Android sites spotify you can follow us on facebook twitter instagram and now patreon <laughs> all at uh, suflex retweet give us a listen give us a rating and give us some money on patreon that'd be actually quite good you know <laughs> go on the money give me your money oh, you're we need the money yeah. anyways let me introduce these crazy panel of uh nwo for lifers i'm guessing <laughs> We'll start off with, he's been on the show more times than NWO has had members. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, just watch out for his finger poke of doom. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ross McLeod. Uh, if you listen to Derek Kern, that'd be the only thing that pokes you. <laughs> oh, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, yes, move on, move on. Please bring <laughs> do you know? Please bring this back. That's what I used to say. Yeah, okay. Anyways, <laughs> sat right next to him. He is the Horace Hogan of the McLeod family, as in he's almost as forgettable. <laughs> it's Scott McLeod. Dad, <laughs> well let me tell you something, brother. You just got burned. <laughs> Does anyone actually you know who Horace Hogan is? I do, yes. No, it's like, well, you have to, because, yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I have to pretend I know. I've won the Yeses are Taylor many times, I should just spray paint my initials on it, like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Anyways, next up, the ESSR is a lot like NWO, as in there's so many members, if you can get lost in the shuffle. Let's hope our next guest doesn't. It's Chris. Yes, yeah, like it. Like how are you doing? What's this your, how many shows have you been on now? Uh, well, since I actually properly joined, this would be two. Alright, no reason looking forward to NWO's chart. Yes, um, this is the first time we've met. Can I say, you look a lot like Bonnie Vare. Oh, I get that a lot. It's either Bonnie Vare or um, um, Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury. <laughs> and next up, our guest is new to the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet family. Let's give a warm welcome to Daniel. No relation to David Campbell. I am not a relation to anyone, though the family will disagree. <laughs> we own the Campbell name. He is our fake Vader now that Scott Hall has left us. <laughs> and finally, he is the EP of the show. He's here every week. Just don't call him Phil Joe or Vincent. It's Quacker. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, luckily, I don't get the reference, but move on. All right. No, right. <laughs> Essentially, he was the first uh, black member of NWO. All right, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I, I couldn't make a yeah. I thought we were pals. We are. Friend. They just I, were. I didn't think that wearing the Hulk Hogan shirt that I would be towing the line today. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I, I was kind of thinking, should I clear the off? I'll just, I'll just no, 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 it's all good. All right. All right. <laughs> they just Anyways, back to the show. What do you remember about NWO? When did you first sort of find out about them? I'll start with Ross. So, weirdly enough, I think like with most kids who are watching when they first get introduced to wrestling, it was at, like in the toy section of stores. Like WCW was in 2000. It was a bit on its backside. 
and all the WCW figures were like reduced to clearance and you just seen all these figures some were like red and black some were white and black and it just had the big NWO symbol on mm -hmm. it you know hundreds of these figures and like I'm like how I didn't think it was wrestling at first I thought it was like some sort of Power Rangers thing or something like that because it was like so many like, there was so many of them was it Rita Repulsa get us the NWO <laughs> just defeat the Power Rangers and then Lord Zed came along with the wolf pack putties <laughs> Rangers we have a problem yeah. form the mega powers I mean the megazords yeah. <laughs> the me <laughs> Anyways, uh, does anybody else want to jump in? What about yourself, uh, Scott? Uh, I think my first exposure to NWA might have just been the, the WWE version when Hogan mm -hmm. came back to have the match with The Rock because uh, I got in a few years after Ross and apparently it was by the time I was watching full-time I think there wasn't really any WCW anymore. Yeah. So, I'd, so like, I'm a naive young fan thinking all there is is WWE so I just see Hogan, <laughs> he was a big deal. He went away, he's formed this weird black and white group and now he's back to fight The Rock and... It was only through the years later, through documentaries no. and behind-the-scenes things, that I really learned about what the NW actually was. I say, and Daniel and Chris, you are relatively younger as well. So, what would you do? You even remember the NW or like WCW at all? Was it just the WWE? The first exposure I got to them was actually through um, the video game Shut Your Mouth. Oh yeah, because they were on, that, on the front cover. It's a good game as well. Yeah, like I mean, the first intro I got was just having uh, Nash and Hogan in there as well as at the. I think it was like a couple of unlockable skins for the other guys that were there as well. But then when I properly started learning about the NWO, I think there was a... I can't remember where it was a documentary, I think it was actually no remember. They had a DVD computer for the Monday Night Wars. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I used to watch that and repeat all the time with my brothers whenever I was staying over with him. And I would just watch this and I would learn bit, bits and bobs about the NWO through that. So that was where I got my main exposure. So I, I just kind of missed them on TV. Yeah. What about yourself, Chris? I remember that when I was really young, I got like an end of year annual. Even though I'd never watched WCW in my life, I was like a life WWF guy. And I just sort of was like reading up on all these wrestlers. And I was like, oh, so that's where Hulk Hogan is. Because, you know, you couldn't just go on YouTube at the time and like look up where what everything what everyone was doing. And I remember in about, I think it was like 2004, my dad got me three videos from a charity shop, which were like, I think it was sold out, Spring Stampede and Bash at the Beach from 1998 which were all like pretty, like, well actually it was kind of past the peak of NWO but it had a bit of NWO in it and I remember just thinking it was so so cool. I remember going away and stealing a whole bunch of matches off of like Kaza and watching them because it was the only way to watch like wrestling that wasn't on TV at the time and uh, I absolutely loved it. I remember it just being the coolest thing even though by the time I actually like saw it, it was long dead. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it was good. Well let's say uh, I cut back to like 23 year, 23 year ago where I think most of this panel wasn't even like Fall, just a glimmer in their Scott wasn't in the born dad's eye. Uh, happy only child. <laughs> I was, for another two months now. I was on the verge of turning one, I believe, at that point. All oh, right, fair enough. I right, hang on. I was like seven. <laughs> Fuck all of you. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were about nineteen. Huh? <laughs> Chris's, Chris's hair slowly starting to go grey. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was starting to go grey then. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we get to the end of my relatively young-looking panel. <laughs> but anyways. Do you, know, do you know how, what was the inspiration for the beginning of the NWO? Do you know where the idea came about? Yeah, it was from a, a group that was in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I believe they were made to look like invaders from another promotion. I can't remember mm -hmm. the name of it. It was uh, UWF. UWF, that was it, yeah. Like, Eric Bischoff, I think, had seen this faction being made in New Japan and thought, okay, we could do something like that, but in WCW. So that was the initial spark for the idea, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. It was a Bischoff was just at a show, saw it and thought it was a great idea. So what better to like bring it to like an American audience? So first off, he gets Scott Holland for a lucrative uh, deal, 
and then sort of comes up with this idea that there's WWF invaders between him and Nash. And it was sort of, everyone was kind of, do you remember much about that, uh, to Ross? Yeah, I remember it losing a, a, a wee bit of steam when WWE threatened legal action. Mm. So they had to go like in the ring and go like that, tell us once and for all, are you here working on behalf of the WWF? And it was like, no. And then like, the next week it just sort of regained steam again because they were like, yeah, we're here on our, if we're here on our own backing and not the backing of a billion dollar corporation, we can do what we want, you know, we, we'll do what we want, you know. What do you think we're going to do next? <laughs> and it kind of brought back a bit of the spark. But WWF threatening to sue because if your name's being used yeah. in the hottest angle and it's your competition, obviously you'd be like, I think we're going to tell you to stop that. <laughs> yeah. Do, you, do any of you guys remember this period at all when it was sort of the build up to Bash the Beach? Yeah, I remember like they never specifically said this is Razor Ramon and Diesel. Where, like these, they said like you know who these guys are, these outsiders, and all especially act. Acted like reason uh, why he still used that kind of accent that, that he would use, but he slowly but surely started talking like regularly. So it was kind of a thing where like yeah they were bouncing a bit closer to the edge a bit, what legally was. So they had to eventually say like we're not like in the WWE, even though and sooner or later they started using their own names because the whole thing with Bischoff was he wanted WCW to feel real and have realistic stories because WF was at its cartoonish kind of best at this point. And was it, this was during the time as well, before the internet sort of became a big thing. Uh, Chris, what was you? What do you remember about this period of time? I see. I didn't start actually watching wrestling until about 1999, like late 1999. Mm-hmm. So like, I have very little early memories until we actually get to like the invasion and then WWE NWO. But watching it back, and I've watched a bunch of those nitros. It's crazy how subtle it was at the start. Basically, it's a standard nitro, and nitro, and you see Scott Hall coming in the ring to do his famous "You Want a War" speech, and then before you know it, like over the next two months, it just builds and builds and builds. It's crazy to look back on just how far this whole storyline would go from mm-hmm. such, like, quite a small beginning at the time. Yeah, what about yourself, uh, Daniel? Do you remember much, or do you catch well, up on this? I caught up on it afterwards, and I started following it mainly because on. On the DVD I mentioned earlier, they, the main bit they covered was just the Air Bishop talking about signing them over. And that's literally all they mentioned. It's like, oh, I brought them in on these lucrative contracts. And they never actually went into proper detail about what they did on TV. They showed the, uh, the debut of uh, they showed the debut of Scott Hall, they showed Kevin Nash, but that was about as much as they went into it. So mm. I caught up with it afterwards and you know, I, was, I was impressed with how they did it. Like, it was certainly an interesting way to do it. See, as you're the new guy, you're the outsider. I'm disappointed you didn't come in like Kevin Nash and go, so this is where the big boys play. Huh? <laughs> I didn't listen to the adjective, which uh, isn't an adjective. I yes. say the well, you wouldn't have said big boys to the other look at you. Oh. <laughs> well, anyone looks small stand next to you. But, okay. Zing! <laughs> that oh wasn't a God. very good sing. Oh oh my God. Anyway, oh let's get back. Children, please. <laughs> Let's get back to the NWO. Uh, so essentially, yeah, Hall and Nash are invading WCW, and it was good storytelling. It was kind of nobody really knew what was happening. Obviously, there were big stars in WWF at the time, mm. and you know they're coming over and doing that. And then essentially, it's boiling up like WCW don't like these two guys coming in doing their own thing. So it's a few matches, and basically the biggest match or at the biggest pay per view. Well biggest looking back at it is Bash at the Beach 1996 where it was they were talking about they had a third man with them but nobody knew 
again, Ross, what do you remember about this time? Remember the third man sort of stuff? Oh, I love the fact that I get to talk about this. <laughs> I love that Dave Meltzer tried to report that the third man was going to be Viscera. He generally reported this is how Bischoff slates him on his own podcast goes, Dave Meltzer knows nothing. He once <laughs> said Mabel was the third man. But um the match itself is kinda kinda crap. Like uh, it all builds up because it's one of those iconic moments in wrestling, like yeah. the, the mankind hell in a cell thing where the actual moment is what you're looking for, you're not looking for the match. But I remember like people there was a not like distrust on TV, like people were like, Is it Sting? Is it that Sting? Well, nobody, nobody actually knew, but yeah, Sting was originally asked because they wanted Hogan to be the third man. Yeah. Uh, but he was a bit unsure, but yeah. Bischoff knew that it was like Hogan Mandy is pretty much a dying, he was getting yeah. booze and stuff, so it's like Yeah, yeah. and uh, the other thing as well, did Hogan not have a match earlier in the show? I remember I didn't really look at that sort of badge, I was looking more at the moment. The I think he was teamed, it? I'm pretty sure I saw something, he teamed with Bruce Beefcake I think on that night. Alright, that was, that was like when Hogan teams with Beefcake, he usually does something later than like, you know, WrestleMania 9, that's page <laughs> 96. He always seems to just find a way to get out of Beefcake's shadow, you know, <laughs> that massive that shadow that he has. All we remember for is being Hulk Hogan's mate. Yeah. Anyways, Chris, uh, do you remember this? Yeah, so I watched Bash at the Beach uh, back, I think I've seen it maybe three times ever. There's so much good stuff that on that pay-per-view that gets left out of like WWE's reinterpretation mm. of it. Like all the way through the pay-per-view, Gene Oakland's literally trying to interview the outsiders and trying to get more information from them. And there's a bit where Gene's even standing outside the outsiders locker room with the supposed third man inside. And he has this brilliant line where he's like, the voice sounds somewhat familiar, but it's muffled. It, Bring something from the back of my mind, but who it is I don't know. And I'm just like watching that back now. It's brilliantly mm. told, mm-hmm. and obviously Bobby Heenan being the best wrestling commentator ever, all the way through the show, he's like, I mean, it could be anyone. I don't even know what side I'm going to be on, and everyone else is like, wait, what? And he's like, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to jump ship, but like if they're in charge, who knows whose side I'm going to be on? One of the best lines of the night is when he says to Gene, "There's police outside the outsiders' locker room." And he says to them, offer those police some cash and see if they know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so eventually the match has, uh, has started. And it's Holland Nash, no third man yet. And then as the match goes on, Randy Savage is getting beat up. And then Hulk Hogan comes up. Daniel, what was your thoughts? Did you, like, obviously did you know that Hogan was the third man watching it? Or was this kind of... I'll be honest, what kind of gave it away was Heenan actually screaming, Is he the third man? Right. Like, I thought... You, if you're not going to shout that straight away if you're going to say he's the hero and you just be like he's come to help us we sort of talked about this moment a few weeks ago yeah. on the heel turns and it was like I can't remember who had said but it was uh, Scott well, yeah. Scott do you want to I was thinking about how like, I heard other people saying this as well and I kind of came around to this way of thinking recently that Heenan his whole thing as a manager as a commentator was he hates Hulk Hogan hmm. so obviously he would say that and I think even after Hogan turned to you he'd be on Condi like see I've been telling you guys for years that Hogan was no good See, nobody <laughs> believes me. It's a long time storytelling. Oh, yeah. Jumped companies as well. You know? Always listening to Bobby Heenan. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, so he comes out. Paul and Nash get out of the ring. You think, oh, he's there to save him. And then he does the leg drop. And that's it. He's the third man. And I don't know why this wasn't number one in our greatest tail turns. It should have been because it is like, we're still talking about this moment. But yeah, 
what are your guys' thoughts? Like, Scott, what's your thoughts on the heel turn? <laughs> what, what I love about it is just Hogan gets in the ring and just a casualness, he just leanly leans back on ropes and just drops the leg on Savage, just the most casual thing mm. ever. And just how quickly from cheers to thundering and booze it goes just so quickly. And a lot of people say, but when they mention Hogan before, they say, oh, Hogan, people like him, they had the foresight to turn here when they, uh, when they were getting to stay. Like, no, he didn't. <laughs> like, the way the story's been told by Hogan himself and Eric Bischoff is Bischoff gets a phone call a few weeks before Bash Beach and Hogan asks him, Do you know who the third man's going to be? And Bischoff's going to get in the inkling. He knows what Hogan's phone number goes like, Who do you think it should be? And he went, Well, I think you know who it should be. Because the whole thing was, like, there's always a backup plan for it to be Sting, but no. Hogan's like, You're playing this as an outside force from, the, from that other company. Who symbolises that other company more than Hulk Hogan? So basically, it's a case of Hogan, like, I smell money. I oh, like yeah. money. All that sounded, that conversation sounded like was, they don't know that we know that they, they know don't. we know. <laughs> Hogan always tries to take a spin. He also said uh, that Elvis Presley was his biggest fan considering that Elvis died two years before he debuted. So <laughs> so we never really trust what Hogan says. Um, uh, Elvis, Elvis had a phone that was actually from the future and he was sitting there on the toilet and he read about Hogan's heel turn and that's what killed him. No, is that what it was? I like that, baby. Hulkamania died and so did Elvis. The actual promo that Hogan does after the match, you know that way where the best heels are the ones where you just believe them? Mm-hmm. That after the match he says all this stuff and I was just like, oh yeah, he's, he's right with all of that. He says, um, who knows more about that other organisation than me? I made that organisation a monster, I made those people monsters. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan you wouldn't even be here. And then he says something about Bischoff and he says Eric Bischoff would still be selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. because. <laughs> Eric Bischoff used to run a butcher shop where he would sell meat out of a van. <laughs> just stealing the big beefcake from a Finfit man. Look at all that brief. <laughs> you know what McMahon's like with the big muscular guys? Mm. You know, that must have upset him. So much beef. Yeah. I have to get it. <laughs> well, well, some people forget about this moment is there's a fan that tries to run in the ring. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, he gets so far, nobody stopped him, and he eventually stands up and he's facing against Hall and Nash. So, Nash thing's like, well, security didn't stop him, he's in the ring. I guess I have to hit him. He was a big Hulkamania fan. Yeah, he takes him down, and Hall, as he's getting under pushing him under, Hall just, get, just catches him with his head, with his boot. He's like, get on. Well, that's the thing, it's like the, the, the ring's just filled uh, like a uh, rubbish. It's just, mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a moment, just. It's, it's a big WCW moment, and now I WWE can like call it their own now because they, they do show it quite a lot. I think the revolt in the rubbish was because the third man was not Viscera. <laughs> <laughs> We wanted me though. Uh, I think that leg drop would have had a lot more impact if it was a £500 viscera. It probably would have uh, killed uh, Savage <laughs> yes. you know, as, as well. Probably another crushed eye socket. Yeah, that's <laughs> But no, uh, do you think it would have worked if it was Sting or Viscera? Um, <laughs> I don't think Viscera would have worked. I think, I think the only reason he was kind of like the rumours were there was simple fact steroid trial, WWE we're trying to get away from that big guy so who doesn't look like a big muscular guy but still big Viscera I think he was just talking to him because basically Ted Turner's checkbook as we'll see later on was blank he could just get who he wanted yeah. I think Sting Sting wouldn't have worked for the simple fact because when we talk later about the Sting-Hogan feud Hogan's the face as you mentioned Hulkamania was dying it was a new year of wrestling you know it was the 90s, everything was like grungy and reality TV and you know, car crash TV. It had to be Hogan, it had to be the baby, because something I mentioned on the on a show with Nathan, Kurt Angle looks like the perfect 80s face, 
but he's the perfect 2000s heel. It just shows the difference in times and nobody symbolised the 80s face better than Hulk Hogan. Uh, Chris. The, the interesting thing is, it's like, who knows if we would still be watching wrestling today mm. if that leg drop hadn't hit because you know yourself, like if Hogan wasn't in the NWO, is WCW still in business? Is WWE in business? Mm. Like, it, it was that exact moment and that end of that match. It's the reason we had the attitude era. It's the reason wrestling itself got grungy. And what we're saying about the end of Hulkamania, mm. Hogan, you could say, despite being champion, was sort of middling for about a year up to this point with mm -hmm. all the Dungeon of Doom nonsense. Yeah. And it was essential for them to turn the whole show in a completely different direction. Well, one of my favourite things about it I wanted to ask you about was they said in the show that the wrestlers that they got to defend WCW were picked from essentially a lottery and it just so happened to come out Luger, Sting, Savage. Could you imagine if the outsiders came out to the ring and going up against them, Disco Inferno, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Conan, <laughs> these will be our WCW warriors. Those will be our saviors. <laughs> I think uh, oh, Evan Kidgarius, oh, Shane yeah. Helms, exactly. Sugar, Sugar Shane Helms, and Shannon Moore. <laughs> Three so, count. Yes, that, that's the name. Well, luckily, yeah, wrestling is scripted, so you know we all do What I love, or is that moment would have never happened to him. What I love is these are the WCW defenders. Other than Sting, who's a diehard WCW guy, got Luger, who's been in a WCW into the WF and back again. And you got Savage, who's almost as big a WF guy as Hogan is. Mm -hmm. These are your bloody defenders. And I don't know like if this thing thing would have worked as well, because when you look back at it, Sting is almost a career face for the most part. Like terrible mm. bad guy. He had a, yeah. He had a he did this double turn with Hogan where he turned to you in ninety nine and that ended very quickly. He had another brief heel turn, I believe, twenty ten TNA. That ended quickly as well. So like he's not the guy he'll probably try it, but he's not the guy who can be a heel, so I don't think his heart would have been entirely in it. Something else as well, how many times have we seen Hulk Hogan beat the big guy of the month or the, the bad guy of the week, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. it's It was done so, you know, the impact of Sting later on defeating Hogan would be lessened if it was Hogan beating Sting because you're like, we've seen you beat, you know, Paul Ondo, Roddy Piper, King Kong Bundy, you know, Hugh Savage. It, it's been done, it's like... It was the criticism that so many have of the, in the current era of John Cena. Mm -hmm. You know, that was Hogan's style back then because wrestling was different. Wrestling had to be the good guy one. Mm. Yeah, and it's like, uh, just to quickly say about the sort of, with Hogan being in WCW and fighting them, it was like he was sort of always seen as a, a Western Northern sort of wrestler mm -hmm. and he's in the South. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, mm -hmm. this, the signs were all there. It's good that he... This ain't wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good that he sort of had the foresight to be like, Okay, I'll come out and be the first man. Yeah. Then moving on, it's like you've got Hall, you've got Nash, you've got Hogan, and Hogan says we are the new world order, mm. and in comes this whole different style of sort of this. They start doing promos different. It's mm. like uh, Daniel, do you have you seen the old style sort of NWO promos? I have. I've seen a few of them, and instantly when you look at them, it is quite a drastic change from the norm because the norm was just Gene Oakland or a backstage interviewer holding a mic to the guy mm -hmm. and that was all you got then all of a sudden there's all this production going into it there's all these backdrops these animations and there's like Hogan mm -hmm. everyone just like talking to the camera there's no interview in sight it changed the game completely straight away mm -hmm. like there's no way to deny that one yeah because obviously the new style of, like I don't know if I've mentioned this to you guys my favourite guy in wrestling is The Rock 
Do you no think way. If, if Hogan and Hogan, Scott Hall and Nash weren't doing the, the direct the camera thing, people like The Rock, people like Stone Cold, would they have had those impactful promos that we still go back and watch? You know, in, in WWF where they're talking to the camera and they're, you know, just rhyming off, you know, you know, trash talk and all sorts of insults because as you mentioned back in the day it was the interview or the good guy would be like, well I'm going to go out there and try my best and the bad guy would be like, I deserve the title because I'm the best. <laughs> and that was it, that was the copy and paste. It's interesting as well, it's like those promos with those three guys in black and white in front of those screens, it was mm-hmm. like watching a dictator or something like that from mm-hmm. one of these crazy yeah. Eastern European countries. <laughs> and then the actual, the actual booking... Or you could, have, you could have said a non-specific country. <laughs> I don't know, Spain, Italy, they all had good dictators. <laughs> they all had good dictators, fan of Mussolini Armin. <laughs> Digging a hole, backing out. Um, top five you not remember the old style 1930s promos that Mussolini would do with the black and white when it was paid by the uh, the fascist organisation? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Anyway, the, what, I, what I wanted to add in was it was fantastic because the actual storyline behind why. Where do you think promos- Spaghetti Mania came from? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, well, let continue. me tell you something, Churchill. <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue. No, I was just going to add in the actual storyline behind why those promos even happened. The whole idea that they had bought ad time on WCW mm-hmm. beca- because they had this big financial backing mm-hmm. of the fourth member, who I'm sure you'll mention. Yeah, uh, we'll go into members. we we'll just start it now. Do you want to reveal who the fourth member was? The fourth, obviously, being... Uh, trillionaire Ted, I think he was called at the time. <laughs> trillionaire uh, Ted DiBiase, mm-hmm. and he was the man who funded the NWO. He funded all the contracts, and he was the man who funded them getting the ad time, which is the reason they still were allowed to be on mm-hmm. WCW. Yeah. The, the storytelling is just genius. Yeah, it was good because they had the whole uh, this uh, announcement is being paid for by the new yeah. world order, oh. and then go straight into the music, yeah. which is probably still oh. one of the coolest. Oh. pieces of music gets in there yeah, it's, it's I, love, I love that just that, that thing at the start the, the whole thing of the following has been paid for by New World Order it's like that's what really clinches it for me like it's a whole new style this isn't this is what the whole presentation that's what they were trying to go and like this isn't WCW this is NWO like when, later on when they try to go Nitro like this isn't WCW Nitro it's NWO yeah. Nitro and if it had to feel different it couldn't be a ball stand promo because it's like a similar like problem people have on sanctions match like oh we've worked in our hands this is not nothing to do with us you still give them promo packages and announcement announcements and bring yeah. music, which makes it feel a bit inauthentic. Whereas this felt authentic. This is them doing it on their own. Well, it's like in WWE, see where it's like someone comes back and it's like, oh my god, we didn't expect them, but then the music starts playing. Uh, and they're <laughs> wearing their own merch. That is something that, and I, I mean, we're already risking at mentioning Hulk Hogan and dictators from the past. <laughs> someone I shouldn't be mentioning. One in the same. But, yeah, but Jim Cornette, that is something that he always mentions, he goes, can you imagine if in real life you saw your friend getting beat up in the street and you had to go put the perfect song on to make the save? <laughs> well, why would you Why would you be backstage going, hit my music, hit my... Like, yeah. Your friend has been beaten up by six other guys. Yeah. Yes, but we need to hear my music. Like Vampiro, play my music. <laughs> At the same time, if you listen to Jim Cornette, your IQ dips a whole <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I have to ask you guys, for, for me, by a mile talking about music, this is my favourite entrance theme, is the NWO theme. Oh, yeah. It's so basic, yes, so good. Yeah. I, think it's a, I think it's a variation of a Jimi Hendrix song. Uh, and I know Hogan started to come yeah. out to... Uh, uh, I want to throw you out. A, there was another track, you know the bit in the NWO, NWO theme where it sort of breaks down, it goes... Dee, 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 dee. Mm. That's like a bit yeah. of a Jimi Hendrix riff. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then obviously they used 
Hogan's own theme as a Jimi Hendrix yeah, song as well. Child. I was going to say, do you just know why he started referring to himself as Hollywood Hogan? Because he obviously was doing more TV stuff and all that, wasn't Because he had a really good burger in LA. <laughs> Don't know, I've never had Because he bought a house there. Because no. he was a fan of the great British Bake Off. Was it no. not, was Paul it Hollywood with... Hogan didn't stick. <laughs> was it not to do with the fact that WWE and Marvel had an understanding about the Hulk name? That's exactly what it was. It was because he was in like lawsuits using the Hulk, so he was just only known as Hollywood Hogan when he was nice. in the NWO. Genius! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clever, but everyone still known him as Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. He was the first Triple H before <laughs> Triple H. <laughs> But no, um, yeah. House. As the NWO started to like take over, like a lot of people started to become members. Can any of you name any like members that you remember? I vividly remember the fifth member, even though I, again I, I didn't watch it at the time. Though I think there was a Dungeon of Doom four horsemen match or something along those lines, and you see the giant at the time. Grabbing, I think one of the other Dungeon of Doom members for a choke slam. The Yeti. And Sh- Shivani <laughs> like famously goes like, wait, 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 and then he goes absolutely mental as if he gets stuck. And I think that was the point we knew it was a big deal because mm-hmm. they got not only did they have Hogan and Nash and Hall, they then had the biggest wrestler in WCW at the time. However, first issue with storyline telling, which will come up a lot in the NWO storyline the fact that Hogan had just beat the Giant for the belt less than a month before uh, and now they were pals and because wrestling and oh. like he was the first one one of the first question ones because the whole thing was with other guys we'll see coming in is there may be outsiders coming in mm. whereas this is the first proper WCW guy Nash, uh, sorry the Giant had only been wrestling for about a year and like you said and there's a funny bit where he and Hogan are cutting a promo down and they camera they say yeah. like, whether you like it or you don't it's the best, best thing, thing going, going today but the funny thing is I think the giant got a bit flustered and forgot what he was maybe saying. So he's starting a bit. You notice he's doing his bit a bit second and a bit after Hogan. So mm. it's like, uh, da, da. like when, you, when you're singing a group song, you can't remember the words. So you just listen to what other people say. Da, 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 da. See, Wait for the bit that you know. Something else. I think it's either this one or it's another promo with Hogan and the giant. And Big Show had recently just did the Water Boy, <laughs> and he just goes, "Thanks for the Hollywood connections, brother." And you think, oh, that's fine. Thanks for all that water boy money. You're like, you weren't the star. Like, <laughs> you, were in it. you played basically yourself. You played a wrestler. Like, Thanks for that water boy you money. Captain Insano. Yeah. He shows no mercy. Shows <laughs> Thanks for that water boy money. He shows no mercy. <laughs> and he just keeps saying, Thanks for that water boy money. And it just gets to the point where, yeah, Hogan is now cool again. Nash and Scott Hall, I've got this natural coolness. Big Show just does not fit yeah. in at this point. Well, that's what Nash was kind of saying. He said they wanted to do be different. So when they first tried to do the NWO promo, they were he was being natural, Hall was being natural, and then Hogan was doing what about retaliation? You know, he was just going and then they're like, "This is not what we want." And the guy who was editing it was like, "Don't worry, I'll make it work. I'll just make it work." Mm-hmm. And they did. But yeah, mm-hmm. but Hogan was still doing that. You know, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. You know, take your vitamins, but saying it in a sort of. Mm-hmm. NWO way. I was just remember like the, the shock I felt when I just watched on TV and I just see this guy come crashing through the wall and shit that's a shop master. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like uh, the Cooley fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Thank <laughs> <laughs> you broke uh, broke quacker. Well done. The shock master <laughs> I've never seen anyone laugh at this. This is the way the shock master thinks he's in the car. Like, he fell flat on his head. The pyro needs to fall. But the basement is when the helmet falls off. That's the 
just to inform our fellow listeners, I will be back later on just on the fact that I've made Quacku laugh. <laughs> well, it's, it's, not, it's not a hard thing to uh, do. It's not a hard thing to do. Anyways, uh, what were you saying, Chris, before you were <laughs> One of the good things was as well is like this, at this point, obviously, allegedly, Hogan stopped banging the steroids. So his whole outlook... At he never took out- steroids further <laughs> until you put him on trial. His whole outfit is completely different he's got the black beard he's got his he's um, dyed him his moustache and all of a sudden you've managed to create this like new Hogan because you can't do the red and yellow Hogan in WCW he looks ridiculous he just looks like this tall skinny guy because yeah. he's so different to 80s Hogan so that was it was such a good move obviously Nash and Hall Looked exactly the same as he did in the WWF, give or take. Just but, cool guys. But like Hogan, cool. completely different. Like Hogan's just the old pensioner just hanging about with him. As, as we know, like classic wrestling logic, I wear black, that means I'm a villain now. So we're talking about the, the new members, like I love how the sixth member was ironically called Six, the former <laughs> Sean Wallman, and mm. I found out the reason he was called Six is because oh, he was the one, two, three kid, and we had one, two, and three together, you get six. That's the least cool reason for a wrestling name I've ever heard. Ah, I didn't know that. Actually. It's, it's less cool than Stone Cold's Mitten again his name because his tea was going to go cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to go Stone Cold. No, I, th- I thought it was uh, just. I thought it was because he was meant to be called Chilly McFreeze at first. No, it was uh, Frosty McFrost as well, or you know. Anyways, but how many? Do you know how many members there were actually of uh, one NWO? billion members? Forty-four. <laughs> this would be a great. You know those sparkles where you have to like yeah. enter as many names within five yeah. minutes. Oh yeah, it would be impossible. Have a, have a rough. Uh, figure that I've heard is sixty-two. Right, would you other guy for it? I'd, I'd think it'd be up in the 60s. Really. I was going to say 70, bang on. What do you think, Scott? I think just for, I think it would be me just to say 44, so I'm just going to uh, go with that. 44. Uh, uh, no, now. it's not 44. Uh, what about you, Quacko, what do you think? Don't know. Don't care. 69. <laughs> hey. No, it was actually 62. Uh, yeah, 62 members of the NWO. And yeah, it's just everybody wanted to be a part of it. And it got to the point, because when they started, it was like fans like just kept filling the ring with like rubbish kept throwing it but then they just started to accept it and see this like cool sort yeah. of new like stable and then eventually everyone's wearing NWO t-shirts see WWE like to spin the tale that Austin 316 is the best selling shirt of all time it might be the best selling WWE shirt but NWO was selling before you know the Austin era began NWO was selling when he was still the ringmaster NWO is still selling today as we see Caitlin, uh, sorry, Kendall Jenner was at New York Fashion Week wearing an NWO Wolfpack top. Yeah, I it. actually own an NWO Wolfpack top nice. and I was Are you so a fan of Kendall Jenner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I love her makeup. Um, and I wanted to wait it for this podcast but unfortunately it's at my mum's house in Airdrie. I wish we'd got a Stacey on the show. I could have got her to bring it. Well, I was going to buy an NWO shirt just for this. But, uh... Can I tell my <laughs> NWO t-shirt story? After you have time, I went to Tea in the Park and me and my friend Mikey had both bought NWO t shirts. I was like, We have to wear them this weekend, we'll look so cool. And there was mild confusion, and I ended up wearing mine on the Friday, and he ended up wearing his on the Saturday. So I've got the Wolfpack one, it's red and black, walking about Tea in the Park on the Friday, and I'm like, Well, nobody noticed this wrestling, it's not cool. Mm. Saturday, he breaks out his black and white one stopped at least five times for pictures. I was like, this is my moment, you have stolen it. <laughs> Anyways, no, it is a cool t-shirt and it's like, you still probably see people in a crowd today mm-hmm. wearing an NWO shirt. Bring me the Horizons most recent promo picture for their new album. One of the band members is wearing a Wolfpack t-shirt. There you go, that's a, a best-selling band and one of the most followed stars on Instagram mm-hmm. are still rocking NWO t-shirts. Anyways, we're sort of, was it a few, well, 
So I was going to say, I was just following on what you said about the entrance music, like the design of it is really kind of basic as you get the black and white, but it still works so good, like the whole less is more thing, as we were saying mm-hmm. about the entrance music. See, I'm just waiting for Kylie Jenner and My Chemical Romance to break out an Austin 316 oh, tap and just prove me wrong. <laughs> but no, as, as you can see, it's like this NWO sort of takeover is like taking effect, like everybody wants to be a part of the NWO, but there's still one guy who isn't in yeah. NWO, and that's Sting. And it's such just, like WCW do get a lot of like flack for, yeah. you know, the way the company and you know, there's all these different booklets and that, but this kind of part in wrestling, so like the storytelling is so good because you've just got this comp, you've just got this other faction who's essentially want to be another company. It was the point they wanted to make NWO its own thing, its yeah. own show, and it's like, but you've got Sting who just refuses to see WCW like that and then he stops talking. Uh, like, that was my first introduction to Sting as the crow gimmick. Would you, would you remember about Sting about this time? I just remember, obviously, it was like a year or something like that. He, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't speak. He didn't speak. He, he used to come down for the rafters, like you know. I know it's based on the Crow character from the but it's like it's sort of like Batman. He just kind of appears from the rafters. You know, he's he's up there. You know, he's he's lurking, looking over Gotham City. You know, he's a hero. WCW deserves, but not the one it needs Aye. right now. He, he's essentially their Dark Knight. You know <laughs> what I mean? And then. Like later on, we'll talk about him. Like DDP, he was sort of the, he was originally referred to as the People's Champion. When it's like Sting and DDP, they're like the Harvey Dent and sort of Batman figures. But obviously, it's ironic that Sting is in black and white, but is refusing to join the team of black and white. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how this whole started as well. Mm. The whole thing came about because there was a fall brawl, which was where they had the annual War Games mm-hmm. match, mm-hmm. and NWO were pushing, pushing at this point. We've got Sting. He's yes. one. Meanwhile, everyone's like, they can't have Sting's the biggest hero in WCW, mm-hmm. and then obviously this is when they bring out Jeff Farmer, who's the NWO fake Sting. Sting, <laughs> Sting comes out, ends up, he, he drops him, walks out the ring. NWO Sting ends up getting the pin in that match, mm-hmm. and. You don't, wrestling fans wouldn't even realise at the time that was the last time you're going to see Sting wrestle for 15 months. Yeah. That's how much they committed to this storyline. I think in that, that period of time, as you mentioned, he came out, I think he spoke once to say, you don't know Sting, and that's about it, really. Yeah, something as well, it's the promo package before that War Games. I think it's, it's the team Lex Luger, Macho Man, and who else? No, I think it's uh, Arn Anderson, Flair, and Lex Luger, and then I think it's the whole thing is... Flair Sting's not there. Sting I, and the Horsemen hate each other, but then they have to come together against the NWO. Yeah. And obviously Luger's like the constant best friend of Sting. Luger is, you know, he'll never turn his back on him, but then he even starts to have doubts. And you see, they're like, have you spoke to Sting? Like, we haven't seen him since this Monday. Because, you know, there's the footage of Sting, inverted commas, <laughs> uh, attacking someone. You know, there's Sting sitting with the NWO. Obviously it's a fake Sting, they don't know that. And it's just, it's so well done. Like, there's always the hint of doubt. Even the teammates are starting to think it. And Sting himself, when he comes out, he goes like that. Now do you believe me? And then walks away. Mm-hmm. It's funny you said that word doubt, because mm-hmm. the famous promo the next night on Nitro after War Games comes out and cuts this massive promo mm-hmm. where he essentially says, I'm not with NWO, but I'm not with WCW. All you've done is sat and accused me that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm away from you. And, and that's the point when he leaves and I, again watching it back if I was a wrestling fan the crowd at that time I'd be like oh my god Sting I should never have to um, what, what have you done? 
<laughs> just looking about, even though you've been doubting them for months, just <laughs> looking about to your fellow wrestling fans going, I hope you're happy. Is there <laughs> any compatible storyline in wrestling ever where the hero of a company has been portrayed as a bad guy and then eventually goes, see, I tried to tell you I'm a good guy. There's almost nothing I think I compare it to. Not that I can think of. I don't think there's ever been, I, the only thing I can think of is maybe the fact that Rudo didn't change his stance when they did like, the double turn of Dallas and Rudo. Rudo was still a guy that said, I still think Dallas is a prick. You know, that that storyline did not change. <laughs> that was just everyone else agrees with me now. I, I, I've been telling you for like four years. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed looking at the storyline going back because for me, for years, all I knew of the thing was the black and white crow thing. I didn't even know the crow was a, a mm-hmm. thing at first. So it's weird for me going to see him as like surfer thing because that just looks too like old school going into the NWA from the WCW thing. And I like the idea of like they're sowing the mis- the seeds of doubt and everybody and like because it's like who is with the NWO, who isn't and like I like the whole build up to it and that and I did like there was a bit where they'd still come out with this fake thing and fake thing even switch from surfer makeup to the black and white and there was this cool thing where everybody's in the ring and they clear because they see Sting come down from the rafters but the fake thing stays down because he doesn't see him and he just turns around and he just craps himself you realise like oh crap the real Sting's here. It's like you're talking about like the music and stuff like that. It's like Sting's music's like just iconic as well. Mm-hmm. Just that mm-hmm. violin and uh, and like WWE try to recreate it by bringing them back like twenty years too yeah. bloody late. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, but it's just building up. It's like Sting versus Hogan. That's what everyone wants to see. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if Sting would have been the third man, you wouldn't have got this sort of long storyline. And and there's just promos between Hogan. Have any of you seen the promos? I had seen the Sting side, I've not really seen the Hogan ones. In the run up to the episode we did on WCW about two years ago or something like that, I watched a lot of this stuff back and a lot of the stuff I'd never seen up to this point and it's such great storytelling. Like I hadn't even heard Sting's music until we covered it mm. on this show a couple of years ago. And not only just the promos as well, but the idea that WCW was absolutely helpless in the time between war games when he disappeared and the actual match happening in Starcade. Not only did they get Randy Savage, another huge face in the company at the time, they also got Bischoff, which yeah. mm-hmm. I, I feel like is the most mental turning point in this company. Well, the thing with Bischoff, sorry to cut you off, like he gets attacked, but he's like, no, I was always a member of NWO. I was trying to compare it, I was like, imagine Vince McMahon joining DX. It just like, it would blow your mind. And looking back on it, watching the segment where he, I think, is. Out in a segment with Piper and Piper mm-hmm. wants a match with Hogan and Bischoff's like ah, nah, nah, and he's basically you know trying to duck responsibility and then all of a sudden it all becomes clear that Bischoff is behind everything they mm-hmm. seem to just they seem to just as they were going on at least at least for that one year they had all the storylines really well thought out so it's like one of the things we talk about how good Vincent Mann is the Mr. McMahon character like but Bischoff was a heel authority figure before Vince was Vince was still a commentator at this point and his whole thing of it makes sense because Who's the guy signing the contract? Who's the guy reaching out to get these guys in in the first place? So of course it would be him. And the Randy Savage one makes less sense because remember a few weeks before he turns, he tees the storyline. He like he says they stick reach out saying like, "Come on, me and you, we're the only hope WCW is left." And they form this almost unlikely rogue team to defend WCW. And then two weeks later, oh yeah, Savage is in the end because of some they're threatening his contract or something like that. So he reluctantly joins. See something that really annoys me. Of the amount of, we mentioned the amount of members they had. <clears throat> there was a show in a few years ago called The Following, and it was about like cult leaders, and anyone could be turned by this charming cult leader. And then it was really good for like six episodes, and then episode seven through thirteen, it was like every week is like 
he's going to stab him or something like that, or he's going to help him get away. And it just became so obvious, it was every week, it was like, there's Disco Inferno, there's David Flair, there's Tori Bagwell, there's Tori Wilson, there's Miss Elizabeth, there's Robin Wilson. Why? why? (laughs) There's Dennis Rodman. Oh my god. Miss Elizabeth is the weirdest... For me, he's the weirdest <coughs> member of the NWO. Well, weirder than Dennis Rodman. Yes, because like for years in the doubt, she was basically the most innocent character you can ever get. She was the main thing between the Savage and Hogan. Sterling, the little dissension started with her. And now, by the way, she's walking out with Savage. She didn't even, wasn't even that different. She just, had, she just stood there. Just, oh, by the way, she's a heel, even though she didn't act like a heel. Mm-hmm. Anyways, no, like I was saying, going back to like, sort of Sting and Hogan, it's like all this storyline is just kind of building up to that. It's like a year in the making. And like, We'll talk about it like after we have a break, but like the, it sort of like does a massive sort of build up, but then like afterwards it's like completely falls apart. Mm-hmm. But let's say we'll talk about that after a break. And uh, yeah, we'll just cut to a break now, and we'll hear like Sting when he battles the NW on behalf of WCW, and we'll be back after that. Hey, this is Stroke Daddy Ricky Starks, and you're listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. The man he picked out. up a 500-pound man, tossed him like a bag of tomatoes. And that 500-pound man is up. It was an incredible move. Stop it, this. No. Stop this. It's Toke Slam time. Stop this. It's Toke Slam time. Oh, no. It's not. The troops are here. It's NWO time. Of course it is. Here they come. Down goes Vince again. And now right here. Six. He's fighting off all of them. He's fighting off every one of them. Look at this. Bagwell, Conan, Scott Norton is coming out. Six. The Macho Man is out. Are you going to jump in now? No, I'm going to call this match. And I'll tell you one thing right now. The Giant, the Giant is signing, sealing his own death warrant. This guy is going to be in serious trouble before the end of the year. I can assure you. Oh, nice move by Scott Flash Norton. Nice move. There's the bell. Your winner. Your winner. Your winner, Kurt Hennig. Call it, Giovanni. Call it. What is there to call? It's carnage in the ring. It took a belt to hit the man. If it hadn't been for that belt, he could have taken on each and every member. Hey! Hey! Oh, it's okay. Sting. All right. It's Sting. Okay. And it's, it's Sting. And there's a wet spot for Eric Bischoff is sitting because Sting is out here. He's got a weapon. Yes, he does. And I hope he uses it. If Piper doesn't put a stop to this, if J.J. Dillon doesn't put a stop to this, I will put a stop to this because this is out of control. He has no right to show up anywhere, anytime he wants. He has no right. He dropped the bat. Wait till I tell Hollywood. You wait till I tell Hogan. Hogan is going to tear him apart. He dropped the bat, and he's fighting them. Each and every man. Piper, you're first. Sting, you're next. Yeah, the next man is the next man. Sting is going to hit. No way, no way. Yeah, down goes Sammy. This is Piper's fault. This is Piper's fault. Piper was behind this. Piper was behind this. Sting, he's going to pay. Shut up. Again, down goes Shut up.
gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. As you heard there, that was Ricky Starks, interviewed by Scott. Scott, do you want to plug that? Yes, uh, my interview with Ricky Starks is coming this Monday, and he's been a highlight of NWA Power, a review show of which you can catch every two weeks with myself and Stephen Wilson on Patreon for only $4 a month. Uh, speaking of Patreon, Chris, you've got something else to plug on Patreon? Yeah, probably should have plugged this at the start. I will. Um, me and Nathan, my uh, brother from another mother, we have started up a new show which is called the Monday Night Rewind, looking at every Nitro and Raw that went head-to-head from 1995 to 2001. The first episode is also going up on Monday. He watches American football now, he thinks he's an actual brother. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> on with the show. Uh, Ross, you're going to say that? Yeah, uh, we've also got the Retro Review coming this <laughs> this coming Tuesday as well. The Royal Rumble 2000 Review, me and Chris's brother Nathan. <laughs> From another mother. Yes. Nathan gets about. No, no Way Out 2000 with my actual brother, Scott McLeod. And yeah. WrestleMania 2000 with the two brothers. Gary and Derek Kernan. We've, we've already said, I was like, we can't cover any of these pay-per-views because we're just going to cross timelines. It's going to get very, very... You can cro- cover the WCW pay-per-views if you want. I don't want to watch them. Neither do we. You take them. <laughs> we, are the podca- we are the podcast of brotherly love, aren't we? Anyways. Anyway. So, as we were talking about before the break, the matches build up. It's Sting representing WCW. Hulk Hogan representing... The NWO. The NWO. The Well, he was wearing black and white. It was. It wasn't a racist back then. <laughs> oh my God. Anyways, <laughs> it's up to a match at Starcade. Has any of you actually seen the match? Mm, I've no. seen the end of the match. Like, yeah, I've seen the match. Yeah. Uh, do you want to fill us in, Chris, with this? Like, so, before you start, it's like this, this massive build-up to this biggest match in WCW uh, takeout. Again, much like we were saying in the first half, there's almost no comparable storyline that you can match mm. anywhere else. That, that you could maybe say something like the uh, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage match from mm-hmm. WrestleMania three, four, five. Delete is appropriate. And uh, th- this was it. It was it was the I think it's 15, 16, 17 month build. The <laughs> very much of its time during Sting's entrance. There's this like weird like light graphic they do on if you can imagine. There's like almost like curtains coming down from the top of the arena, which then have Sting's like logo and a weird picture shined upon basically Sting's entrance is absolutely badass you should all go away and watch it and it was the first time in all of the WCW stuff that I've watched where you're like oh my god WCW might win one here mm-hmm. yeah that was good so I was drinking water <laughs> <laughs> oh stay hydrated brother <laughs> take the vitamins and drink the water um Top level professionalism, as you can see here. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so it's built up, and then the match starts. And Hogan is somehow dominating this whole match. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a shambles. It's like, see, I know we'll talk about the finish in a minute. All right, okay, well, we're going to talk about the match itself. Like. But the match itself, I think Hogan dominating does make sense because Sting hasn't wrestled for 16, 17 months, and Hogan has been on top for that entire time as world champion you know he is you know in wrestling your world champ is the guy there's a reason he's the world champion you know there's a reason you know even when the NWO aren't there 
Hogan still keeps a belt because he can get the job done. So I do think that part of the match makes sense. Yeah. Plus, there is the stories from backstage that Sting wasn't in the best place in his life mm -hmm. and he was really out of shape, mm -hmm. like ring-wise. You know, they thought he was going to come back and be Jack. That's why he's wearing like, yeah. the T-shirt and not the singlet at the, like, the start of the match. So he's just... It, certain real-life factors along with what I think is a bit of good storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing from the story as well, sorry, just, um, the, the one thing I remember was that uh, Hogan was absolutely terrified during the build-up. Mm -hmm. Like, you could see like Sting's pointing the bat at him and he's just like, why is he pointing at me? Why is he pointing at me? You think, Hogan's been terrified this entire time, so of course he's going to go in like crazy yeah. at Sting. Yeah. Like, that, it made sense from that perspective. Yeah, because I've, I've heard Eric Bischoff tell stories about how he, he, Hogan and Sting all had a meeting before the show and like when Sting left, they all looked at like, he doesn't look into this, he's not... Somehow he's not mm. mentally ready, you know, he's had all this time, and he said, like, because of all these personalities, this thing would show up to TV, ask, okay, what am I doing? They'd tell him the segment, is it okay? And then he would, like like he would do when you see him thereafter, he would go somewhere and just sit by himself until it was his time to come do his, his bit. I think he was going for a divorce at the time. Because mm. remember at the time he becomes a born again Christian. Mm. So clearly he's got some sort of personal issues, but as the match is going on, and then obviously at this point they've brought in Bret Hart. Uh, we all know about the Montreal screw job, it's been done to death. But essentially they think, let's try and do our own like Montreal screw job in WCW. So Nick Patrick comes out with who we forget, uh, who we haven't mentioned yet was an NWO referee, mm -hmm. which kind of just made it a bit, it was kind of storyline was getting a bit stale at this point. I think Nash was like, you've got a referee, we've got our own. We've got all our own stuff, it's like, why are we at war when yeah, we can just take yeah, over? Yeah. But um, it's the slowest count probably Nick Patrick's yeah. ever done. And then Bret Hart comes out and goes, no, 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 that was a fast count. And it was like, uh, no, it wasn't. So <laughs> it just at this point, it's just like, what's going on? It's ridiculous. And uh, does anyone want to kind of finish it off? Uh, I think allegedly Hogan may have been the one getting in his ear about the, the fast count. And according to Nick Patrick, I think Nick Patrick tried his best to kind of push blame on somebody else. You know, and he went, I had so many people in my year, I just went with who, what the, the direction I thought was best for my career. Basically, I stayed with someone like Hogan and do what he tells me to do, I'll keep my job. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, what is it? Uh, Sting wins with the Scorpion Deathlock, yeah. and Hogan taps out, or whatever. And <laughs> essentially, everyone comes into the ring. Puts uh, Sting on like the hero is, but it's like obviously just what's happening. It's like there's been a, a a fast count when it's been it's not even been a fast count. It's kind of like uh, what what's kind of happened, and it's stuck. It's like WCW's WrestleMania, yeah. and it's just rubbish. And then yeah, the belt well, so. gets vacated afterwards, and then Sting has to beat Hogan again. Yeah, and it that is just silly. Obviously, as we were saying, Hogan orders the fast mm. count. Like says Steve Nick Patrick, sorry, it's not a fast count. Do, do it normally, and obviously right. Scott said Nick Patrick's went. When someone like Hogan tells you to do it, you protect your career, you know what I mean? They actually came out and said that Hogan told them to... Yeah, and for years, I think I think even Bischoff came out and said, and Brett, that's one of the reasons what Bret Hart, other than like WrestleMania 9, hates Hogan. Because it was basically his debut as well. It was Sting's crowning moment and Bret Hart coming in, and Hogan basically dumped all over both of them by saying to the ref... Do not do a slow count, which he's famous for. You know, he, he once changed. What was it World War? Aye, the first ever World War Three. He finished. decided in the middle of the match. No, actually, I'm winning this match. Yeah. Well, the, the, this is the thing. It's like you've got Hogan, who had like a, mm -hmm. a great contract and creative control, mm -hmm. and all of his mates on one thing. And it's kind of like as we're all saying throughout the show. It's like it's the, mm -hmm. 
one of the best story, like told stories coming up, and it should have like, a, the best finish. And it sort of doesn't. It just ends because of ego and just contracts. And this is kind of where I think the NWO kind of be became like started to sort of not become as cool as it was, mm -hmm. what it thought it was. And essentially, like it broke off into two factions shortly mm -hmm. after. And I don't know. What do you think? Do you guys think this was like sort of the ending point of? NWO as it was that initial run. See, uh, the initial run, uh, it, it was dead and buried. You know, as soon as Hogan, you know, got in the year, and as soon as, you know, it turns out that you know Sting had to, you know, it, it now looks like screw finish because of the whole restart thing. Um, but my biggest gripe with the Wolfpack is the fact that originally, much like, do you want to sort of go into detail about the two? Sort yeah. Of so basically. Originally, when the NWO Normal was going on, much like Bullet Club, but then they had the Elite, which is the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, um, Scott Hall referred to himself, Six, and Kevin Ash as the Wolfpack. Then uh, Six gets released. Uh, Scott Hall gets taken off TV for personal reasons. Kevin Ash and Hulk Hogan backstage can no longer work together. And they were planning on like separating them because they were going to have... like an NWO show and a WCW show as we mentioned before with the launch of Thunder but then they ended up just going oh yeah now there's there's two NWOs and like people had to choose sides and like then again it comes the Sting you know Sting what side is he on now and it's it's just so stupid it's it's basically rehashing the storyline and then you've got Bret Hart who's not aligned with anyone but he's the recruiter for NWO Hollywood now. NWO are chosen now called NWO Hollywood. And the worst thing about it is, Six has been released. Scott Hall has been taken off TV. Kevin Ash hates Hulk Hogan in real life. And yet, you know, we always say the best storylines are ones with a hint of real life in them. Mm -hmm. But they, they just ruin it later on with Finger Poker Doom. It's just, yeah. it's such a shame as well because it's like, you know, the wolf pack's named in, you know, honour of my brothers, you know, you know, Evil Eric is, you know, taking Scott Hall off TV, you know, Hulk Hogan's told him that, you know, X-Pac couldn't cut the mustard, you know, that's why he's away back to that other place, you know. It, there's so much personal animosity and then obviously it becomes a bit cooler with the like sort of gangster rap wolf pack theme mm -hmm. as well, although we, we kind of do... When you look back on it now and you see Kevin Nash walking about with a beanie hat and gangster rap clothes and swaggering, <laughs> you kind of go, yeah, we, we let them off too easy with that. But it, it could have been something good. It could have been something fresh. It's not just, oh, we're the NWO and we're taking over anymore. And then, it, as usual with the NWO and as usual with Hulk Hogan, creative control gets in the way. I think Starkey in 97, you know, after this for the next few months up until like Mania 14, WWE's still winning the ratings war. This should have been where it starts to like wind down, or at least end. Like you could add the stipulation: a Sting wins the NWO or finish, and then you can have them fighting. Because you know, if Hogan blaming Nash for the demise of the group and have them fighting there, but I think I get why they were doing the two groups. Because Bischoff said like we need as many people as possible, and we needed conflict between them. Because if we were going to have this NWO show, basically they were doing a, a brand split before WWE ever thought of it. But when you have a group dominate as long as WC as the NWO did in WCW, and then is what is maybe the proper payoff, and then the group just keeps going and keeps dominating afterwards. It's like, like the Undisputed Era, they've had big losses, but 
you know they're eventually going to get their big comeuppance when all four of them now lose their belts. And that's this is similar to what Inuisha and they should have had their comeuppance and that should have been them done. I took it as a slightly different way from what you said, Ross. I thought it was the essentially when this isn't working because mm. we invented the NWO to be bad guys. Mm. It's anti-WCW, they're being bad guys. But people are cheering them. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was they went, right, if we take all the people that are getting mm. cheered, the cool ones, and mm-hmm. put them in their own group, and then leave Hollywood as the actual mm-hmm. NWO bad guys, as mm-hmm. they're meant to be. I thought, when I watched it with mm-hmm. that perception, I was like, no, this kind of works. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, liking the NWO became cool. Obviously, that was very much a thing that had happened throughout the whole yeah. um, run up to the match with mm-hmm. Sting. The NWO very much was cool. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I, that's what I took away from it. That's why it, mm-hmm. it's. That's why me as an adult, I own a Wolfpack t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I would buy an NWO. I was oh, going to buy an NWO t-shirt for this. And they are cool t-shirts. But it's kind of like, do you think Hogan was trying to do that thing where it's like, you know, I had so, like, how long was he running wild with Hulkamania? It's like, I could do the same thing with NWO. Because yeah. it did, it made his career, like, big again. Because he was like, he became this cool bad guy. But that's the thing, though. See, if this had taken place in the, you know, the times of Hulkamania where, you know, they have, you know, they tape superstars and they tape 10 weeks of superstars in the ones and it's like Hogan will appear on three episodes and then, you know, you have just the big four pay-per-views so the storylines can stretch out. That would have worked, but in this era of weekly TV, obviously Nitro, three hours live and then you get to the point where Thunder gets added, that's another two hours. You've got a pay-per-view every month because you know it was it was WCW that started that. Mm. You've got pay per view every month, so it then becomes well, no, there's actually now 104 TV shows because there's two a week, yeah. and we're going to add 12 shows onto that. And when you get to the point where you have 116 TV shows a year, well, I'm hoping I've got my Steiner math right here. <laughs> when you've got 116 shows a well, you year, board right next to you. You got Hogan appearing on 33 and a third percent of them. Yes. And it's just, as we said, they, they won for so long. Yeah. It just it gets stale so quickly. Well, I'm going to try and like fast forward uh, mm-hmm. to uh, the night of the 4th of January, 1999. Because as Daniel was saying earlier, I don't know if he said in the podcast or just before, but it was like the NWO, you remember how they started, you remember how big they got, but as soon as after the starcade, it was like, what did they really do? There was a site, mm-hmm. like, there's so many different factions. You had like the B team and the elite and then essentially in 2000 you had NWO 2000 which yeah, is the hardest brothers <laughs> yeah they kept trying to bring this back but like I said this thing in Hogan sort of Starcade thing was kind of when it started to start to get a bit rubbish yeah. but I think this is what this moment actually killed NWO is what it was and yeah. you know what moment I'm talking about if anyone wants to Ladders well, going to put butts in seats. <laughs> no, not that moment. Oh, right, sorry. Because oh, you said 4th of January 1999. Yeah. They're, they're almost one moment in the same. It's, yeah, amazing. Yeah. it's yeah. amazing how much the coin flipped on its head that I, I, I can't remember the WCW. I called you at uh, the start of the show. Oh. <laughs> the finger poke of the Oh, yes, 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 yes sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's say, which isn't a good thing. And yes. uh, if, if no one knows, at this point, Kevin Nash was a booker. Uh, Scott, do you want to take over? Yeah, and. I don't know if he was a booker yet, I can't even remember, because no, all people accused him of like, being the booker when he beat, huh. uh, when he beat he Goldberg. Was he was the booker team. And they did this whole thing booker. where it was maybe that night, Goldberg gets his rematch against, and then they accused him, oh, these cops come to him, well, we've had some accusations against you from, from Miss Elizabeth and all that, and basically took him away, they got him out of the arena, 
and by the time he got back, the main event already finished. They got Hogan, who'd been trying teasing being face at this point, and there's this long intros with fucking uh, Michael Buffer saying that Kevin Nash, he's a resident of Detroit, Michigan, but he's a common sense making a citizen of the world. <laughs> and then they do the, the finger poking. Honestly, I've listened to Eric Bischoff talking about it. Yeah, yeah, the finger poking. More details. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, they're standing down each other, and Aye, the, Nash goes up and just. Hogan pokes him, he just does this over the, the top chest. bump mm. and then he just covers him and out like and the comedies are confused and then all Scott Steiner and Scott Hall are in there and all the Indian guys are jumping up and down like yay and Hogan's acting like he's knackered because you know he just won in like two seconds yeah. and basically the NWO elite I think they're called now mm. and Bischoff has actually said he doesn't regret this moment because what it was going to lead to was Goldberg coming back I know, I know he got beat down, but he was going to work his way back through and eventually get to Hogan after going through everyone. And then the silly bugger tried to smash a limo car window and cut his arm and nearly bled to death. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I do, I do remember, obviously, the lead. Because, obviously, in the time of Wolfpack, even though it was like the cool one, it's sort of like, obviously, Nash wins the title, Hogan retires, you know, it's, retires as many times as Mick Foley. <laughs> and then he comes back for no reason and then it just so happens there's a world title match that night there was one reason I do believe did he not say that he was running for the president of the United States he did say that oh good yeah. grief well, yeah. I'm going to be in the White House brother <laughs> I mean Trump the state white brother. I would take would I take Hogan over Trump yeah I probably would right. Hogan's a good liar as we all know so <laughs> and he's a good politician Hogan's wrestling, rallies would be so. a lot more entertaining though <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah, uh, you'd get a lot, you'd get all the votes. Anyways, but I, I reckon this is the sign of the end of NWO. Everyone's yeah. like it's daft, and obviously that night as well was the announcement that they're going to put butts in seats, yeah. referring yeah. to uh, mankind against uh, Ross's favourite wrestler. Yeah, but the, yeah, The Rock, the, the, the great one, the, the Brahma Bull. That I'm going to keep going, but uh, see as well something that WWE kind of got caught up in. See '98 and. Uh, sorry, 1998. WWE sort of got caught up in that weird four-person. It could only be four people in the main event. It was either Kane, Mankind, uh, Undertaker, or Stone Cold Steve Austin, yeah. and it was always Stone Cold that won. Mankind was the bad guy, and then they recreate the screw job, which, when you say it now, sounds cringeworthy, but it turned the Rock into the biggest heel. It turned Mankind into the biggest babyface. So for like two months, from Survivor Series to January 4th. They were building something and it was mm. new guys because it was now a new mankind. It was more Mick Foley. It was The Rock as the obnoxious heel, you know, and then they built this and then it's someone like Mick Foley who people seen in ECW and WCW in Japan. He is a worldwide star before there are worldwide stars. And he's going up against the hottest new star in The Rock. Obviously people are going to watch that. But then when you t- tell the few people that are watching your show, by the way, on the other channels, there's got to be a title change. You knew in the Attitude Era that if there was a title change, something was going down, and obviously you turn it over, you've got all your favourites like DX, you've got the corporation with Bossman and Kane and all that, you've got, you've got DX out there, you've got Austin, you've got so many people out there, and it just shows you that it was a showcase mm. of what WWE could offer, and then when you turn back and seen that these guys for the 80s are doing that thing from 1995 again. 1996. Alright, oh, sorry, 1996. <laughs> sorry. So I forgot Hogan joined in 95. <laughs> the guys from the 80s are doing the thing from 96. I try to block it that year in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and it just gets you thinking. 
Yeah, I really like to watching Nitro on a Monday night. I know, you turned over, you have this big moment, yeah, McFoley won. wonder what I missed on WCW, NWO's back, so not much then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, that was kind of the end of it. They tried to bring it back a few times, but essentially it was beating a dead horse. Yeah. Hogan leaves, everybody leaves, WCW is mm. just out of business, and then McMahon buys it. Which sort of leads us to, uh, I, I kind of didn't want to really talk about it as much, but everyone remembers this. It's the WWE's version of NWO. A lethal dose of poison. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so essentially, this all happened after the Invasion storyline. It's like ridiculous because of contracts and mm. stuff. Everyone wanted to just stay at home. So if my man could have, he wanted to... Sh- was it? He wanted to hit while the buddy yeah. while it was hot. You know, mm-hmm. he had WCW, but he didn't have the stars. And then essentially, he brings Hogan, he brings Nash, and he brings Hall, the original, the three, to end. Was it No Way Out? Two thousand and two to take over the WWE. Mm-hmm. And uh, who wants to take it off? Uh, Daniel, I haven't mentioned you've not spoken a while. Just want to. The bit that I remember, I watched the promo back early this afternoon, and what I just remember was. It was very strange, like they bring them in, but they're being all very like, we want to thank Vince for this opportunity, we want to thank you all for like standing by. It's like, they're almost sucking up to the fans at points. Yeah. And Hogan even ends the promo being like, God bless Vince, God bless all of you, the fans actually cheer them. And then later on they're like, oh they just, you know, they, they beat up Rock. Like, yeah. you don't know how to take it. Yeah. But it was really confusing even from the get-go to me. Because yeah. I remember... Th- the beatdown for The Rock is the next night, but they do have a segment with The Rock. And I and then they space. This, <laughs> oh, is, this, this, is, the, this is just to show how much wrestling had changed. NWO, that well, the cool guys, have now basically. The Rock has gone on to Hollywood. Rock is now a movie star. Rock mm. is Hollywood now. Hulk yeah. Hogan isn't. And The Rock, in the space of two minutes, rips them to shreds. And then he goes out and has his match. And they don't they don't attack him. He has a match with the Undertaker. They don't touch him. But then Stone Cold later that night, who they've had no interaction no, with, they have because mm. they try to give him the beer. I think oh, it's yeah. Scott oh. Hall tries to, and I think he just holding it on a bit too tight. Mm. But uh, in yeah, because yeah. they, they saw the Rock and they saw Stone Cold. Because yeah. but like the Austin one's tame, yeah. and then they beat the hell out of him and cost him the undisputed title. They did a thing on Raw where like. Austin kidnapped Hall and like tortured him the whole night. Yeah. Didn't they? <laughs> well, yeah. the idea was they wanted to build up to obviously Austin versus Hogan, Hogan the biggest match that never happened. Mm. But kind of briefly, they were in the ring for about two seconds. A and body a, slam yeah, and an Irish whip. That's all you ever got of Hulk Hogan. Stone but, yeah, but mm. let's say, do you think it was a good idea for Finns to bring in the NWO? And it's like, I don't know. It's just. It's such a popular WCW thing and it's kind of like them trying to make it a WWE thing. I don't know what the thinking was behind there. Honestly, I know it's not the opinion of most wrestling fans. Wholeheartedly, yes. Mm. I think that coming off the invasion, such a huge story that went on for so many months. WWEF, can't remember if they changed yet. But they had to do something big. And I feel, I personally, I loved WWE NWO. I thought that that promo that everyone talks about, you know, the desire with the NWO spliced into it, mm. that's, I think, my favourite promo of all time. It probably even beats the Limp Biscuit Austin Rock one. <laughs> and I, like, what, by this point now, being watching wrestling, I think at the time I'd been watching wrestling maybe three years, I genuinely was like, what the hell is going to happen here? How's this going to run? Like, WWF can't go out of business. Yeah, I started thinking, I was like, 
are they going to take over one of the shows? Mm. Well, I'm sure we'll mm. talk about this before we come off this, but how it could have been done differently or it yeah. could have been done better. I, I, mm. It would have been fantastic if NWO like took control of SmackDown or something yeah. mental like that. I mean, well, yeah. I remember like li- I watched it live in uh, in WWE and uh, for No Way Out, but yeah, it was just like I just wasn't sure. As I always remembered Hogan being Hogan, and it's mm-hmm. like he's back home, and it's like but he's yeah. NWO. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, you. I mean. I think the whole thing with the curve taking over one of the shows because the whole thing was they were leading to their brand split with Hogan, sorry, no, uh, Flair taking over one show as a GM, a co-owner and Vince taking over the other and uh, Flair had beaten McMahon in a match and, and like I don't like the version of WWE that this is becoming with Flair in charge so I'm, I built this company, I'm going to kill it and he, he was going to use the NWO to do it and I just love how I don't think it would have worked as well with Austin Hogan because they both had number of injuries at the time, whereas The Rock was at his peak, mm-hmm. and like I really enjoyed that match. And I love how they did so much to get Hogan to be a heel now. They had him drive a truck into the ambulance that was carrying The <laughs> yeah, Rock, yeah. and Toronto was still chatting for Hogan. Yeah, that's, yeah, they just knew they had to turn him face, and that's kind of one of the reasons, it one of the work. many reasons that it wouldn't work. But see. Ironically, as soon as they turned him face and made him red and yellow again, everyone hated him because nobody <laughs> wanted him as WWE champion. <laughs> yeah, one champion yeah. like that. Um, but, um, see, see, obviously we mentioned one of the reasons that Kevin Nash gets injured, he does his quad again. Do you know who Kevin Nash was rumoured to face at WrestleMania? Who? Kane. That's why there is there is double packs, it's NWOB, WWE, uh, WWF at the time, that were commissioned and it's Hall and Austin, it's Rock and... Hogan and it's Kane and Kevin Nash. Because oh, sure, didn't I mean, this storyline start? Didn't X uh, uh, Pac? I think he was called X Pac. He X-Pac joined he, after uh, Hogan left. Uh, but yeah. in the lead up, you know, they've got they've got Kane helping them, like just chase them off, and then after it, you know, you've got yeah. the Canaanites because that, yes. was meant, <laughs> that was meant to oh that was meant to continue on. But yeah, it was meant to be Nash would fight Kane, Hogan would fight Austin, but then that didn't work out. So Hogan was going to fight Hall, and then Hogan would fight. The Rock. Which I'm going to try and like fast forward the bits because mm. uh, I think we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like the thing that I think kind of peaked with the WWE version of NWO is when Kevin actually has got an announcement and he mm-hmm. basically it was I can't remember what it is it initially says for Beto, but it's essentially you don't have far to look for the, your friends and any points and then. He kind of paraphrased some of Triple H's speech he did the night he reformed DX after WrestleMania 14. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you look to your blood, and then he's just, and let me introduce the least member, new NWO. Shawn Michaels comes out, and even everyone's just like, Shawn? Yeah, <laughs> we hadn't seen Shawn Michaels wrestle for four years at this point, and he'd sort of been coming and going, but it was kind of the longest time he hadn't been there, and he'd come back and he was cleaned up and stuff, but. It kind of made it interesting. So like you've got the very first WWE guy to be in this WCW built thing, and essentially he ended up taking over as the NWO leader. Because yeah, because uh, he was the only guy who's never wrestled in WCW to be a part of the NWO. Yeah. And allegedly this was going to lead to they were because they teased in a backstage, but before they did the whole DX reform tease, like and Hall, uh, Michaels and Nash go to Triple H because yeah. the whole click thing and try to get him to join. Mm-hmm. Triple H says no, and that was going to lead to. Nash with Michaels in his corner against Triple H at SummerSlam, mm-hmm. and then also Nash gets injured. Yeah, yeah because they bring in Bischoff and mm-hmm. uh, something else. Obviously, you mentioned the King of the Ring 2002. You know, The Rock's back, Undertaker's champion, and he, he doesn't trust anyone. Austin's just left, and then Triple H is walking through the hall, and as you mentioned, they try to recruit him, and obviously it is Nash, Michaels, and Triple H again. You know, 
but unfortunately Hall's away at this point, I believe X-Pac's off TV or he's he soon to be gone because they both had personal problems but there's just so many reasons why this didn't work yeah. and it's just injury and personal problems. Yeah, and again like the WCW sort of uh, NWO, it sort of starts with a bang at the end of a bumper. Yeah. And do you think, like, say if the NWO didn't happen in like uh, NWCW and it was maybe Bischoff is working for McMahon came mm. up with the idea there and Hogan was still there, do you think it would have worked? Or because essentially we'll talk about this like after like after this, but it's kind of essentially they try to replicate it with DX and stuff in WWE. Yeah, it, but it, it's when you try to bring it back and then. When you're bringing something so successful back, it is now a marketing tool. And sometimes it's a case of a bit of desperation. So the fans sense when something's been desperately brought back, and then if it's something that's quite organic, like DX or something that's like quite organic, like NWO originally was, and then all of a sudden, you know, the next week, we've seen it with The Shield, you know, they reform, and then later that night, they all had the brand new Shield t-shirt on, you're like, this is just to sell merch. It, yeah. it just ruins it. And then obviously, it's something Al Snow said was the reason his team and the Rockers didn't work was because they put new Rockers in front of it. The same way NWO, when you put NWO Hollywood, NWO 2000, NWO you know, Japan, it, it then doesn't work for the simple fact that it's not the original version. It's like, yeah. it's like... It's end of it's a tribute act. Aye, it's, it's die at NW. <laughs> they faced the issue as well that, like, um, they faced the issue as well that WWE was about to become a very, very different place in a very short mm. space of time. And in that space of time, NW just would not have worked. Yeah. You, there's no, there is no PG NW, it doesn't make mm. any sense. Yeah, no, it's just, I don't know, it's just, they tried it, it didn't work. It was, it was good that they tried to do it. Um, but, you know, sort of, Bring it to a kind of a close. Um, do you think it? What do you think impact it really had in the industry, like NWO? Do you think it was a big impact? Do you think it's like people are overrated about it, or? I don't think people overrate about it, and I do think obviously we've been a bit critical about certain. I think certain parts people are overcritical of because they have the WWE version of events, and once someone tells you, like you know, they always talk about first impressions. If you know, once somebody tells you a bad story about somebody, it's hard to then make your own impression of them. Um, but I think it, it did the groundwork for a lot of stuff that WWE stole. A lot of stuff you still see in WWE today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did have an impact. I think it was the start of the whole era of cool heels, which you still get today mm-hmm. and in pop culture in general. And it's a thing that we would probably look back on more favourably if it had ended sooner, like Starcade 97, because... All, all you hear about it now is, oh, it had this big moment at Bash the Beach, but then the other thing people talk about is, oh, it went on too long, there were too many people. So it's one of the things that maybe should have just like ended on a high and we'd look back on it way more favourably than we do now. That's what it is, like hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The one thing I also felt there was just, the one good thing that came out of the NWO as well was that it gave wrestlers guaranteed contracts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, as Hall and Nash were the first ones to get them saying, okay, we'll actually pay you this much per year rather than we'll pay you this much per show. Yeah. So that was one good thing that came out of it. But in terms of the actual, like it was like we were saying, like start with a bang, end with a whimper. Like it had the potential. Had they not like done screwy finishes, left, right, and centre. Like the one example that we we didn't mention earlier was sold out '97. The NWO branded pay per view. They they won the the War Games match at Fall Brawl. Then every match is almost like a screwy finish. Nick Nick Patrick referees the whole show. 
it just it, it didn't work and then you carry on afterwards to the WWE version and it's just trying to get that to fit into the WWE frame of mind mm. like it just didn't. It didn't even do the old style promos they did yeah. like the thing that actually made NWO cool mm-hmm. like, yeah. but that's just McMahon because he doesn't watch the product I think he says he does but he never mm. does I think uh, sorry, before you carry on the, the only thing is that I remember is that they the only thing they did similar to the promos was just having the black and white bit for the entrance that was it yeah mm-hmm I think if I was to actually try and sum up the legacy of the NWO and the wrestling business without sounding like I'm overhyping it too much, I think it is probably the most significant wrestling event that's happened in my lifetime. Like Hulkamania, thankfully, was about two years before I was born. <laughs> in my lifetime, I think this is the most important thing that's happened. It, it did. I, I genuinely think that had the NWO not happened then WCW probably would have went out of business a lot earlier than it did. Yeah. I don't think WWF would be anything like what it is today, it especially wouldn't have been like it was in the late mm-hmm. 90s. And I think that like pretty much a lot of good things about wrestling you can trace back to that match at Bash at the Beach in 96. Yeah, sorry, just quickly, as, as Chris said, obviously, it changed a lot of the format and the style. We mentioned the promos earlier. This is what kind of let you know Vince maybe pull the reins back a bit and not write every single promo which he does now you know and that helped you know so many legends yeah. we're still talking about now Austin Rock it, Triple H Shine it put Vince in a position where it was like alright oh, something's not working mm-hmm. I need to rethink so I wanted to say briefly with the Starcade uh, 97 was that like they're so high at the minute and at this point like I think WWE are like we're kind of we're worried we're going to go out of business yeah. if they'd have done that right you know we could have been like yeah. oh yeah WCW like still going on today or yeah. you know but it's kind of like it was just lucky. Like I think a bit of it is luck that it kind of didn't go in the NWO's favour because it is such a great storyline and it's just all it takes is just this revolving door of uh, bookers and stuff to change like history as it is. And let's say it was fortunate that WWE had the foresight to be like we've got these young stars we've got and then just kind of like make it work. I have this weird deal where I think that this whole faction warfare that happened mm-hmm. with NWO I think this is my personal favourite storyline that basically every wrestling company's ever done yeah. I loved it, it, in, it exactly I loved it in WCW with the NWO I loved it in WF with the invasion even ICW did it a couple of years mm-hmm. ago which I think personally is ICW's best ever storyline as well it just always seems to work when you've got no idea what's about to happen see it, it's what they're doing just now obviously we mentioned who's the guy signing the checks it's not really an invasion and at the minute we've got NXT invading Raw and SmackDown. It's like WWE orchestrates takeover of WWE. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like you've like, like you still feel the effects of MWO today because you've got like, like I said, people still wearing the merchandise, and then you've got all the copycats. So it's like, yeah. what is it like? DX is essentially a copycat. Yes. And then obviously they kept trying to bring MWO back, try to make evolution. Well, that was more for Horsemen, but. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it all comes back these big factions. Then they had TNA, and they thought, "Oh, we'll try it again with mm-hmm. Nash." That didn't work. The band, what a name! Yeah, that's But one that has worked is the Bullet Club, because essentially yes. mm. they took that American style and took it to Japan, mm. which is quite cool because it comes full circle. That the fact yeah. that Bischoff sort of saw it in Japan, and then it takes over in Japan. Yeah, it's one of the few ones that actually worked, and the idea of the whole original NWO being invaders from outside is. The whole concept originally with uh, the Bullet Club is they've had a few Japanese members since, but the original idea was this is an all Gaijin faction. This is like a way for all the guys who are from outside Japan to feel comfortable because they're around 
other like guys and like it was a thing where it, that grew as well but I don't think it ever got too oversaturated mm. you know? and I remember when a Japanese member did join it was seen as a big deal like Kenny Omega had been around for ages he'd always been very respectful of Japanese culture and spoke Japanese these promos but as soon as he joined Bullet Club he was like yeah I'm just going to speak English my promos I don't care if you can understand me or not yeah and something else as well there's not there's a it's a big stable but it's designed to be a big stable because mm. of the fact that I, it goes across multiple promotions so it can work that way and also when someone is kicked out or someone joins it's headline news you know yeah. you know AJ Styles kicked out the Bullet Club headline news you know uh, it recently Kenta joining like mm. it, it shocked not to use an alpha action thing but it shocked the system you know <laughs> it's it's a Japanese guy joining the stable that's meant for you know the, the, the outsiders not to it works as well obviously <laughs> with the fact that Japan has about a billion different tiers of where yes. wrestlers are like yeah. they, uh, for um, the Bullet Club they, they've got a junior tag um, yeah. uh, pair they've got a, a wrestler that's going after mm-hmm. every other belt in the company it works in that sense uh, I've always hated pretty much every NWO imitation because I was so much of a fan yeah, yeah. of the original thing Bullet Club kind of gets away with it I think Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this corporation because they were kind of essentially NWO but yeah. WWE and McMahon and everything. But yeah, it's just this. Let's see, we're still talking about it today, and it's like 23 years. Mm-hmm. Like it happens, you know. It's it's a big moment in wrestling, and I feel like there's still going to be NWO kind of ripoffs till I don't know until wrestling stops. I have a horrible prediction because I thought about it on the show. Yeah. You know how they did that Legends match in Saudi Arabia? Is the sort of way to get the Legends on the show but keep it current, guys. Yeah. I've got a feeling the next one is going to be Sting versus Hogan. And it will be like Team Sting will be the Wolfpack and oh, Team no. Hogan will oh, be NWO. No. Well, let's oh. see. Well, they still bring out Hogan and all that with the NWO stuff. I think I've seen Hogan's comeback to, is more NWO than Hulkamania. Yeah, NWO mm. to defend Sting at WrestleMania 31, yeah, which, which made no sense. Yeah, we're, we're going for the next two show. Is Buff Bagwell still available? Is he still wrestling? Yeah, but Buff Bagwell was a, a member. There's like so many members of NWO. It's ridiculous. It's like you can get Buff Bagwell on your team if you can win. The Judy Bagwell in a forklift <laughs> match. <laughs> is, is Vincent still available? He's taking bookings. <laughs> Your opponent tonight, the Shockmaster. <laughs> so I mean, it's probably a good time to actually call it uh, a night. Um, oh, it's been great talking about the NWO. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everyone's enjoyed themselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those subjects that's so hard to cover in just 90 minutes. Because yeah, to be fair, it was like yeah, too many so people. much after. Yeah. We didn't even get to talk about Scott Steiner's promos or anything. Oh, probably a good thing we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and DDP and Goldberg against them. But I just thought it'd be good to just focus on that year. Yeah. Because that is kind of what everyone remembers. Yeah. And well, the best. The better years. Yeah, the best of the NWO. Mm. And uh, any final thoughts? Any last thoughts you guys want to... I don't want to see Team Wolfpack v Team Hollywood in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I would go so far as to maybe say I don't want to see Hogan back in a ring in any sort of NWO yeah. variation. Oh, I would just well, like Hogan's to... just like bad blood now because obviously his reputation is just not the same as it was. Bad Saudi blood. Bad Saudi <laughs> blood money. I, I would just like to say Bullet Club is fine. <laughs> uh, Daniel? I too just never want to see Hulk Hogan in the ring again. Like I would much sooner go back and watch Goldberg vs. Undertaker. <laughs> Rather than Hogan. Yeah, Hogan just passed it there. But anyways, no, that was us talking about NWO. Uh, it's been absolutely great to talk about. I uh, want to thank my panel for you know coming in and talking about it. So, Ross? Oh, you're welcome, Dom. Scott? Too sweet. <laughs> Daniel? You're alright. 
<laughs> Chris, thank you for having us. Quacker as well. Hey yo. Hey, yo. <laughs> I, I was gonna reply that to you until you threw in that comment, Jimmy. Oh, thank you. Uh, just don't mention the shot master next time because they'll just laugh. But now next week we're uh, talking about Survivor Series review hosted by Ross McLaren. Yes, me, Strack, Scott, David Hockney, and Gary Kernahan will be reviewing. Panel subject to change. Yes, panel subject to change, as we always know. Yeah. But yes, th- those those are the four members. But like the NWO, there may be a few changes. <laughs> there may be, you know, Survivor Series review Wolfpack. I think Bret Hart <laughs> might get involved. Yeah, Bret Hart, Hart might show up. Is Derek Kernahan the fifth man on the panel? We don't know. Anyways, now, I've been Andy Mitchell. This has been the NWO Show. If you enjoyed it, check out our back catalogue. Like I said at the start, we're on iTunes, Android sites, Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you know, give us some money on Patreon. Cause, you know, we, like, we want to do more content, and we're doing it especially for the fans. I'm Andy Mitchell, and this has been Eat Sleep, so thanks for tweeting. Have a good one. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the f- you think you're doing, whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of d- tips. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online, you should be subscribing, you should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, whatever the f*** you're doing, that's what you should be doing. I don't care if it's your mum's birthday, I don't care if she's feeling contractions, get on it right now!